0: You're listening to the Unreasonable Friday's Podcast Network. Hello everybody and welcome to an episode of ADD Space. It is just me hosting. I'm hosting by myself. I'm solo. It's weird what do i do who am i where am i what am i doing here and with me is my wonderful friend and l- usually the leader of the galaxy i have justin from the three-fifths
1: leader of the galaxy is a bit strong uh, i feel like you know you and Triggs carry me um uh, but you know what? I, I I I will I will I will take my rightful place as ruler of the galaxy.
0: Okay, s- first For some reason, you're the one who always ends up um, controlling the Federation in Stellaris. Even if we start the Federation, it always ends up under your control.
1: So when we talk about Stellaris, I can explain how I pull that off.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I don't I don't want the power, but I just I just feel like people should know that the power is
1: there. And it is such a nice power to have. It's just, it's just the best, really.
0: It really is. But
1: it's still still a democracy, you know? Everyone else in the Federation has a, a voice, a vote in what goes on.
0: What's a Democracy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this, this is what we're working, like
0: this is, this is what we're working with. i i mean dictatorships are fine autocratic governments are fine you just yeah I'm, have I'm to I'm be you just have to be a dictator for the people and maybe that i what
1: caesar said
0: i you I, know i think that is what he said
1: i feel like caesar's argument for a dictatorship was <laughs> i am the people I feel mean, like that's an argument that has been made.
0: I mean, I do really well. My people are always happy. I I make sure their needs are met. Um, there's
1: food on the table.
0: There, as well. There's food on the table. They have, you know, they have goods. They have resources. Okay, so this entire episode, we're going to be talking about this wonderful game called Stellaris. But before we get into that, we are going to talk about, a, like, two special news items. Um... Cause we're going to start things off depressing and then we're just going to go, well, just way off the deep end into like some serious nerdery, like serious nerdery. It's going to be kind of, we're going to get in the weeds. We're going to get in the weeds. We're going to roll in the weeds. We're going to get comfortable in the weeds and it's it's going to be a thing. So,
1: uh, I'm excited. I'm so excited! I
0: just want to talk about Stellaris. I don't want to do anything else. Um, okay, so in sad or I sad aggravating news. Well, should I start with Destiny 2 or should I start with uh, Borderlands?
1: Yeah, you know what? Let's go. Let's go Borderlands. Let's get the aggravating news out of the way. The aggravating,
0: yeah. Okay, so Borderlands 3. It's definitely official. I I can't. I can't get the game. It's it's past. It's past like all media is problematic. Like that that's a thing, but that it there comes a point to where something becomes so problematic that you can't invest your money into it on a personal level and Borderlands has now reached that point for me by pulling in Chris Hardwick to fill in his old role that he had again, even though his character should be dead and Chris Hardwick himself should probably get hit by a bus. But I guess that's neither here nor there. But, I mean, this isn't just, like, this is on the stream of how many other terrible publicity things, Justin?
1: So a lot of the terrible publicity for Borderlands 3 is because Randy Pitchford is Handsome Jack. Like, he's literally Handsome Jack. I didn't realize that he... Fashioned himself into the villain from Borderlands Two. Chris Hardwick, fresh off of uh, a series of domestic violence allegations
0: and sexual assault, I think too.
1: Well, that's just prime.
0: Well, wasn't like, wasn't the domestic? Yeah, the sexual assault was part of the domestic abuse.
1: Okay. Um. So yeah, I, as you said, all media is problematic. I. This is the example I go to anytime I try to explain this to someone who's like, Well, why don't I don't understand why you can't just support this thing. Like, look, I love Borderlands, I love Borderlands One, I love Borderlands Two. The pre sequel is cool too. I'm not getting three. One because Randy Pitchford is a jerk, but I can look past that. But like you said, Chris Hardwick is I, I just can't jive with that. Right? Like this is the dude that terrorized his then fiance, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah.
1: Um assaulted her, Um, I just can't get down with that. So I related to, it's R. Kelly and James Brown, right? Like, R. Kelly is a minister to society. I can't get down with R. Kelly, I can't support R. Kelly, I can't ingest any media of R. Kelly. James Brown is also a serial batterer.
0: Isn't that that Chris Brown, too?
1: Well, yeah, I have no strong attachment to Chris Brown's music at all. Like, I, I could never listen to another Chris Brown song again. And I...
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, same, actually.
1: <laughs> but James Brown made I'm Black and I'm Proud, and that is a very important song for children of the civil rights era, children of people that lived through the civil rights era. So I have an attachment to James Brown. I have an attachment to Miles Davis, because my dad and I spent a lot of time bonding over Miles Davis. He definitely beat Cecily Tyson. I am not denying any of those problematic aspects. If you choose not to ingest those media, that is cool. That is your right. And I fully understand and support that. Out of respect to you as a person and a friend, I won't play that around you. But they will still have special places in my heart because I relate other things to them. But I'm not also but I'm also not going to deny the problematic aspects about them. What I feel is going to happen with Borderlands 3 when it drops is a lot of people are gonna get it and they're like, yeah, but Borderlands three. And they're just gonna sort of like yada yada the fact that Chris Hardwick is trash. Yes, thank you. I, I was looking for a nice words to say uh, or a nicer way to put it. Um, but Chris Hardwick's trash, and Randy Pitchford is a terrible boss
0: uh, and just a terrible person. And there was also like, like I believe there is also in Randy Pitchford's studio allegations of sexual harassment as well. So I think yeah, there was a, there was sexual harassment. There was like a twelve million dollar embezzlement. He wasn't paying his employees. Essentially, almost all the voice actors were actually just random people who worked for him. Um, that's how Claptrap got the role. I think like I, th- I swear to God, he he was like clap. The guy who played Claptrap was like a nobody. He I don't even think he was working on like what part of the design. I think he was in like the accounting department or something.
1: Oh wow. Yeah, like he was like
0: his his he was in this random department and he and and uh Randy Pitchford's like, "Hey, do this voice." And it was amazing. <laughs> but he didn't get paid for it. He just got paid his regular job, not paid for voice acting. And so when he then went to like confront uh Randy Pitchford was just like, "Nigga, pay me." Uh he got punched. So like. Yeah,
1: that sounds like Randy Pitchford. Right. There's, a, there's also <laughs> a $12 million lawsuit uh, that was filed back in January that he allegedly siphoned $12 million from Gearbox to himself. Yeah. Um, he's also left USB sticks full of porn at Medieval Times.
0: There we go. There's the porn. I'm like, I know there was, I know there was a USB stick something, and this, this makes more sense.
1: Um, oh underage pornography that's just swell
0: right okay so now we have underage pornography assaulting claptrap 12 million dollar embezzlement and this is the head of gearbox and head of the marketing and he brought back in chris hardwick into the fold who is a scumbag so at this point we are I mean, we are well, well past, like, even my normal ethics. But now, like, especially with Chris Hardwick, it's just like that I, I can't spend any money on that game. And I feel re- I'm, like, upset about it because I really enjoy. I don't even mind the fact that there's, like, nothing new about the games. I actually just like having the updated game to play with my friends. But I've got other games I can play with my friends.
1: Right. <laughs> is going to be a busy month for games. Uh, Destiny Two uh, has made an announcement um, that in September, on September seventeenth, they announced uh, Destiny Two New Light, which is their free-to-play model. Yep. You like? I'm about to say you like that. That was, that was smooth, right? That was smooth. Uh
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I'm I'm feeling kind of punched on this one. Uh, so, so the best that. The base game of Destiny 2 is gonna be free to play. Right. And I I mean well uh, I to everyone who pre-ordered the game and paid eighty dollars for the game and the first season pass. I am sorry. I am. I mean, I, game yeah. is the game. It happens. I mean, it happens, but I just the thing that sucks about it is that almost the exact same thing happened with Destiny One. So the fact that they did it again with Destiny Two is just like, uh, I specifically didn't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, I specifically didn't want to pay for a game, pay for the expansion and then it be shit and then like have to pay for pay like another 60 to 80 dollars for the expansion that fixes the game. Which which is why I didn't. I just didn't do it this time around. But again, to anybody who again did the pre-order and the first season pass, my condolences to you. I understand your feelings. Um also uh, free to play models is how you make money that's that that and, and at some point we need to understand that these companies need to ha- make money to run the servers and that's where that's where microtransactions and like even free to play models work is they actually bring in more money than if they had done otherwise and that money coming in al- allows the game to be played longer and Bungie needed to do something. They needed to do something, and really, this is not this is not a bad decision, and it's a good way to get new players into the game, and it's a good way for to get those new players interested to actually spend the money to buy later stuff. Yes. So that's where I had I have mixed feelings.
1: <laughs> so here's my thing. With the free to play. Game is the game. I don't have any strong feelings about the mechanic in and of itself. With Destiny and how I read they're going to implement it, good luck, Bungie. Here's why I say that. They're basically giving you the, the base game, they're giving you Shadow Keep areas, they're just locking the raid, the exotics, and I think they call Strikes Dungeons now. Um, and the dungeon, but you have access to everything else. If Forsaken is any indication, what you're actually getting with the expansion isn't going to justify the $35 price.
0: It's not.
1: Because Forsaken, the story in Forsaken, I knocked that out in an hour. And if I still have access to... All of the other stuff, I still have access to the areas. I can still grind. I can still level up. What am I missing? Right? Like, What am I missing from the experience? And I think people that get Shadowkeep, as they see the free-to-play, and as they see how they're navigating the game, they're realizing, wait a second, so really I just paid $35 for a raid, a strike, and some exotics. Yes. Because they can do everything else that I'm doing. So I, I, I am, I'm curious to see what incentive Bungie is giving free-to-play players to actually purchase the DLC. Because just reading what they've done and going off of what they've done previously, I don't see the incentive.
0: Yeah. I can,
1: I can have a completely full Destiny experience without it. I'm even getting access to the DLC areas, and I've been locking those off. So, what am I getting?
0: That's a good point!
1: Like, un- unless they have completely overhauled how they approach story-based DLC, I'm not- I'm not getting it. Like, I don't- I don't see what they're going to do. Cause, like, even- even their pseudo-MMO season, right? After Forsaken, every month or so they'd release a couple other missions to sort of expand on the lore, but, mechanically, I can still do everything.
0: Oh, that's, that's a good point. I imagine... Yeah, I imagine they'll make stuff accessible only to people who bought the game. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. This is weird. This is weird. Yeah. I don't oh, know man. what Bungie's doing.
1: If you're only locking out the exotics, the raid, and the strike, I can still grind and level up and have a fulfilled experience outside of that. If I'm paying for the lore and the exotics, there has to be more than an hour's worth of story and three new exotics. I'm just... There, There just has to be.
0: You know, I'm gonna, again, to everybody who paid for the game, my condolences. I really, truly understand your feelings on this one. I really like, do.
1: When the split happened, everyone was like, oh yeah, Activision's gone. And I'm like, every creative decision Bungie made was Bungie's choice.
0: Right, that wasn't Activision. And I'm, I was trying to figure, I was trying to figure, I mean, Activision's not that great, but I definitely didn't understand the, Activision's making all these decisions. And I'm like, no, this is Bungie. This is definitely Bungie. It even came out and they said like, this was us guys. This no. was all us. Activision just was like, money.
1: Right. Activision was just like, we'll fit we'll 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 foot the bill for publishing, because this is this is gonna make money. So yes, we will support you in making us money. Uh, I have long contended Destiny needs to I don't know how they do it at this point, but they just need to accept the fact that they're an MMO and just lean fully into it
0: yeah they just they none of this
1: yearly, yearly subscription that you, you gotta do it
0: right just just do the yearly subscription just do it. you can either do a yearly subscription or everybody can buy all of the content and do a buy to play but for people who don't want to do a buy to play, have a monthly subscription just like e s o do the do the e s o model.
1: Because I feel like what they're what they're trying to do is have all the functionality of an MMO without any of the intake, like without the the monthly subscription. They're trying to find other ways to bring in cash. Right. That, like that's not gonna work. Like I feel like we would get we would get a better we would get better expansions if they just. Did a monthly subscription, because then it actually have the money and resources to put forth into making those better expansions. Um, and the, season, the seasonal events, free to play, you still have access to the seasonal events. Um, it is a crime that the infinite forest is a seasonal event and not a procedurally generated dungeon that you can just exist in and grind in. it. It shows up for what Halloween and Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: So Yeah, good luck, Bungie. <laughs> Have fun. Um I I got Forsaken. I enjoyed it for what it was, but then I realized that this is what it was. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I I I think I'm destinied out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um I definitely, I definitely agree. I mean, I've been Destiny'd out for a while, so I've just been like sitting off to the sidelines watching folks being like, hmm, okay, all right. Um, well, I have Final Fantasy, and there's an expansion coming up, and I need to, I, I need to get ready for that.
1: Do you want to talk about the expansion? Because we can talk about the expansion.
0: I mean, we can, we can kind of talk about the expansion. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm a little excited.
1: So, like, I, I mentioned this in our Discord, um, and I will bring this up on your podcast, uh, non cis heterosexual white male. Um, the Final Fantasy 14 content space is pretty white and straight and cis.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it pretty is.
1: Um, it is ripe for someone like yourself um, to carve out a niche in. Um, because, my God, is it so, white?
0: so it, white? Listen, it is so white. It is the whitest shit ever, I swear to God. Um.
1: But, look, Shadowbringers. I was scared when they announced that they are basically overhauling all of the classes. I, along with a lot of the community, was scared. Because we were like, yo, the classes are good where they are. We have fixed the balancing issues from Heaven's Ward. This is good please don't break, don't break, it's fragile. And then all the changes come out and we're like, oh no, it can actually get better? Shit, that's all you had to say.
0: Well, and the thing is too is like, people were seeing the changes that were announced and people freaked the fuck out. And I'm just like, so I being weird, I play uh two two very broken classes, And my third class that I've been really interested in is Broken Beyond Repair. Like they, (laughs) to the point where for Shadowbringers, they completely overhauled the entire class. It is a brand new class. It's like, it just came out day one. Like it's it's not, it doesn't play the same. It doesn't operate the same. It's 100% totally different. So I'm super excited. But my healer class, there were some issues there were several okay there were several issues so because i play a scholar a scholar is a healer class and it is a, it is a pet healer class so my heals are split between my character and this little fairy and i have two fairies that i can choose between i can choose between eos or selene and at level at the level I'm at, there are only two useful abilities, really, and like and like a half a useful ability on each fairy. So usually what you would do is you would have one fairy for when you're DPSing and one fairy for when you're healing. Or if you're um in a party with another scholar, you have one fairy with one uh, scholar with one fairy, and the other scholar with the other fairy. But there's only two decent abilities, like one one and a half decent abilities on each one. On one fairy, it's a healing fairy, and that's Eos. They there is a um there's a regeneration spell, and there's a defense buff spell, and that. That defense bus buff does, like, nothing. It's itty-bitty. It, it's really... It's not that big of a deal. And then there's a healing boost spell. The healing boost one is what I call the 0.5. Um, and both of the fairies have a heal. And then the other fairy, Celine, has a... Um, has a cooldown a cooldown boost, so basically your powers become available faster and that's super useful. And then you have another ability which is essentially in Asuna, which will remove all status effects from all party members. And that's a partial use- usefulness because there's a lot of status effects that cannot be removed. They just have to time out. So especially as you get to higher level, it's super situational which one. So you're just walking around with these like two partially useful fairies and it sucks. But I've found ways around it. Also, they never adjusted the healing output that um, Scholar does for Stormblood, which is the the latest expansion we're on right now. So there's a lot of work that goes like you have to really, really put a lot of work in when you are when you're healing. There's only one good ability that really came out of Stormblood for scholars and it's this ability called um excogitation. And that ability keeps uh, Justin alive all the time. It's really amazing. I basically put this ability on him and if his health gets below 50%, it does a massive heal that'll bring him almost up to full. So I'll usually put that on him, do a bunch of DPSing, like do a bunch of damage, and then I'll go back to healing him. And that thing lets it so I can just not heal him for a bit while I do other stuff. Or if if a giant hit is going to happen, he'll get hit, but he'll be boosted up first before the rest of the party so I don't have to worry about his health. It's it's the best thing ever, but outside of that, they didn't do anything anything for Scholar, so Scholar was lagging behind the other healers. But now we're all even. We're going to all be even and it's going to be badass and I'm super excited.
1: Just, well, what are some of the the changes that they that they're making in Shadowbringers that evens out the Scholar um, with everybody else?
0: So one of the things that they did with um, Scholar is Scholar's main ability is that Scholar has shields. When it heals somebody, when a Scholar heals somebody, it'll put a shield on them. So what they did is um, when you crit, when you crit with one of your heals, it'll put a shield on a person, but it'll be like. It'll be doubled the shield, but you can't really tell because there's no symbol. There's nothing. You just you have to have like you have to have uh, metrics essentially downloaded to actually see when your stuff crits. And now what they do is when you crit, it puts another shield on instead, and it's like a whole another shield, so you can see it. So it's two stacking shields, and then. They made another ability called Sacred Soil, which is an existing ability, but it's useless. It's to useless pass level 50, there's no reason to use it. All it is is a, is a damage shield. But now they gave a regenerative ability to that shield. So, and they boosted the damage that it'll shield from. So now that this ability that I haven't used since level 50 is now useful again. Um, they removed Protect, but it's okay because I have another shield <laughs> that I, I, can, I can put on people. I, have, I can have like five, I think I can have five to six stacking shields with my scholar. So I'm just a damage mitigating nightmare. And they also got rid of the two fairies. The two fairies are now just cosmetic. Both fairies have the exact same abilities. And now for your super ability, you can, you can um, summon a seraph like this little angel fairy. It's super cute. Funny enough, that seraph is actually um the it, it's the exact same uh creature thing, aether whatever, that's from the scholar uh level 60 relic. So, when you do the level 60 relic quest, there's this seraph that comes out of the book. It the, the seraph that you have for, um, that you get for Shadowbringers looks identical. It's amazing. That's actually really cool. I know! I'm so excited! Um, and they did some other stuff to Monk, but I can't explain Monk without getting even more into the weeds than I just did, because Monk is a very, um... Monk is a very convoluted class. So it, it, that one's that one that one you need to visually watch. But most of what they did is that they really solidified each of the different ability, each of the different classes into their roles. So tanks can really only tank. If you can't tank, you're terrible. So I shouldn't have any more terrible dark knights. All the healers should be healing. All the dpss should be dpsing like they really they they still made it so you can still play like according to what your play style is, but you still have to f- be within this role, which is great because maybe this will mean people won't be as terrible. What do you think, l j?
1: So I feel like you're talking to Dark Knight specifically
0: i I might be shading Dark Knight specifically
1: we We have discussed uh, before. The, the the stereotype of the Dark Knight. and They're terrible? There's really no excuse for Dark Knights to be terrible. There um, really isn't. <laughs> I think we brought it up before. They have the two best cooldowns in the game. We are literally unkillable. Like, if we if you play us right, outside of two bosses, we can't die. And that's just because... What Ultima does, two tank busters back to back, and you can't pop your cooldowns back to back, so it will kill you. And then Omega is just Omega. Yeah. yeah that, thing's a, that thing's a nightmare.
0: Omega's kind of a dick. Uh,
1: but, so with Dark Knight, and really all tanks in general, um, they removed your DPS stance. So you're always tanking.
0: And to be honest, that's totally fine because tanks don't do that much DPS anyway.
1: Well, here's the thing. They took away the DPS penalty as well. So now we're cranking out normal, air quotes, damage. So we're doing more damage, taking less damage, generating more hate, and our cooldowns are more friendly. Um, They took away... So for... Paladin and Dark Knight. They took away a lot of the extra combos, so now you only have one main combo, so you don't have to juggle your combos. Which, I didn't think was that hard,
0: but... I wonder what that's like coming from Monk.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that that Monk is all about, I'm standing here, combo one. Now shift to this side, combo two. Move to this side, combo four. Nope, didn't skip combo three. Now I have to go back, redo combo one. Now start combo three to, pro- to proc this uh, buff. There- Monk is
0: I there there's an opener which is like the opener is like 16 attacks then there's your first main rotation which is like which is which is 4 and then your second rotation which is also 4 and then you go back to your first rotation and by then your opener is back to being to you can use that so you go back to your opener and then there's a special uh Uh, rotation if you're doing AoEs. No, Monk is awful.
1: But extremely rewarding uh, if you put in the time to invest in it. Uh, But yeah, with Tanks, they they just streamlined tanking, and they made it a lot easier, and I feel like a lot of the changes were made for Dark Knight, because the stereotype of the Dark Knight is we tank bosses outside of our tank stands because we're all about that damage, even though we're not doing that much damage. The damage you do is negligible. What we're really there for is to generate all the hate and keep all the attention focused on us and not dying. Um, <laughs> but they just made it easier to do that. So if, if you are someone who listens to us talk about Final Fantasy 14 and you are interested in MMOs, but this seems overwhelming... I will say a lot of the changes that they've made to the classes, um, they've made it a lot more user friendly and a lot more um, new, per- like new player friendly. Uh, if you are someone new to MMOs and has no idea like what it is, the game is very kind in hand holding you and teaching you the ropes and teaching you what to do. Um, and then when it's time to you know let the baby bird leave the nest and open up all of the 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 real content or the fun content. Uh, you're you're prepared for it. So I think one day Bacon should have a podcast where they just go through Final Fantasy 14 101. I think that would be a fun experience and content.
0: Um honest to God, I would actually really love to do that because I love Final Fantasy and I really love the classes and I would definitely need help cuz there's some classes I just don't know how to go over, but if you do want to play, if you are interested, I have, like, Justin and I really do. We run we run a guild, and it is completely queer-friendly. It is black people-friendly. We're still offensive without being problematic. I mean, well, everybody's problematic, but not, yeah, you know what I mean. I'm saying words.
1: Um. (laughs) We will not not question your humanity nor ask you to validate your humanity or your existence. We love you for who you are, and we would love for you to come play with us.
0: Play with me. Play MMOs with me. That's all I want in my life. Um, But yeah, definitely. And especially because with the expansion coming up, this is a great time to start playing. It it may seem that you're going to be like, Behind everybody, but the thing is, is everybody's gonna be coming back. So on top of so many people coming back, there's gonna be a lot more opportunity for growth. You'll be able to get ahead easier. Um, I know almost everybody in the FC is gonna be active and online. We're literally just waiting for Stormbringers or Shadowbringers to come out. I keep combining Stormblood and Shadowbringers. Um So yeah, definitely hit me up. You can hit LJ up, like join, play the MMOs. Um, The uh,
1: the other great thing is the game actively incentivizes older players going back to help newer players. There's always like there's an event going on right now to run the 2.0 story the story dungeon because a lot of people are just bought the game to prepare for Shadowbringers. Um, so they're like, Hey, we want to make sure that people are going back to help them out. So they're not stuck in queues waiting all day. Um, so you, you, even if you are behind, you're never going to be left behind because the game is always incentivizing people to come back and help you. Your queue times won't, shouldn't be too bad. Um, it's just a fun experience. I, I, I feel like the, well, I have one complaint, but that's inconsequential to the game ecosystem at large. Um. But the game is really friendly the game does what it can to make sure that no one is left behind even if they're behind in story it, it's just a fun experience and well worth the twelve dollars i pay every month like that's the thing i'm not opposed to a monthly subscription if i am getting a bang for my buck and also so final fantasy has managed to pull off a monthly subscription and you're paying for the expansion and i don't feel cheated Like, I'm paying $12 a month, and I just bought Shadowbringers, but I don't feel cheated in my experience. Because I know when I buy Shadowbringers, I'm getting at least 100 new quests, probably seven or eight dungeons, probably six trials, then the end game, then all the post-game support. Like, I'm basically buying a year's worth of game.
0: Right. And, like, there is so much content. Like, so- so much co- and the old content is really fun i i go back and i run the old content now do i want to actually run heavensward content right now no but i'll be fine and honestly i'm a healer i'm a really good healer uh justin is a tank also leveling healer so if you want to play a dps and you don't know what to do with cues, like we have people who can help like we, we are here to help because we want people to play with us because the more people who play with us with us, the better resources we have. And it's just more fun playing with a lot of people.
1: That it is. Uh, and again, the more people that join us, the less randos you have to deal with.
0: Right. You can learn from people who know what they're doing, who are patient and are competent and when you and then you don't have to deal with random people who don't who who don't play their classes
1: at all. We'll type, we will type of seeing things that you in chat while you're just trying to learn and they're like, "Oh, what are you doing? We're supposed to do speed runs." It's like, "No. No, chill."
0: Oh, I hated that when I was when I was learning on a heal. I would flat out say, "Hey, I'm new. I've I'm new healing. I've never been here. Please don't pull the room." They pulled the room and died and yelled, and I'm like, "I told you not to pull the room."
1: Right. Like if before I pull the room, I say, "Hey, is it cool if I pull the room?" If it's not cool, I my as tank, we set the pace, but my pace is your pace. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to make this a pleasurable experience for everybody.
0: Yeah, and I usually tell you to do whatever you want, and then yell at oh. you afterwards.
1: Well, yeah, that, that is our dynamic. Uh, I remember I would take it slow, and you're like, "No, this is boring. Pull the whole room." I'm like, "Well, if you insist."
0: The o okay. To be fair, the only time you die is when you do that one ability that if you don't get a full heal drops your health but your health you always do it when your health is really low already but as a scholar and this is again where there's like they didn't actually boost the healer healing amount for scholar it's really really hard for me on a single target to go from like no, no health to all the health <laughs> I'm like no I can't I don't so it's always like playing Russian roulette when you do that, because I don't know if I can actually get you up to full health when you've got, like, nothing there.
1: Well, if I if pop living dead, that means I'm, at my, I'm going to die. <laughs> living, like, that basically means I can, if I do this, I'll stay alive for 10 seconds, but when that 10 seconds is up, I'm dead. But I'm hoping we can either, A, kill what's in front of us before the timer runs out, or I get lucky with you healing me and me healing myself that I can get my health back. It is Russian roulette. But if I pop that, that means we're, we're all going to die anyway. Like if Living Dead pops up, like, okay, so this is, this is break glass in case of emergency. Sirens are glaring. This is the end game.
0: And meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Why?
1: <laughs> it's Chernobyl. It, it's Chernobyl. That's what it is. All the, all the signs are going off in Chernobyl, um, <laughs> and I'm praying you don't ignore me.
0: It's true. It's true. But I I, I never ignore you. I never do that.
1: Well, that's because you're a good healer.
0: No, I mean, yes. I Okay, I knew. I never thought I was actually really a good healer until you told me that your brother and his, and, uh, his friends are like, oh, no, bacon can play with us whenever. Yes. I was like, oh, my God.
1: We did uh, that, the monastery. I think it was the first monastery we did with them. And they're like, oh, no, we weren't stressed at all. Like, at no point was I worried about my health. And that's how I know Becky knows what they're doing.
0: I was like, ah! And I think I was doing that thing where I was experimenting because I, I got bored. So I started for no reason. I don't have to do this. I just did it because I was bored. I started swapping my fairies in and out. So I'll just use the regenerative ability and then I'll swap to the other fairy and I'll use the speed, cool to, like, the speed boost. So everybody has a speed boost on getting their abilities back. And then I'll switch back to my health fairy. That's kind of a risky thing to do. But I got bored because for my first class to play, I had to pl- pick the most multitasking class that you can play. For okay,
1: You you have challenge out.
0: Right. But now it also means that all other classes are boring, which is why I'm really excited for Machinist because it's a whole new class and it'll be more like a pet class. Yes. I'm really excited. It's actually, it looks like it's a lot more like Puppet Master from Final Fantasy XI. So I'm really stoked.
1: I when when the live letter came out, they basically said, "Yeah, machine, well, this is a new class. If you are used to it now, level it to 70, then never touch it again." Because when Shadowbringers comes out, it's gonna play completely different. Like I think only two skills. They're only keeping two skills from the class in 5.0.
0: Yeah, they're keeping two skills, and those two skills work differently. Yes. It's a completely new class. So I was going to level Machinist, but when I saw that they were completely redoing it, I went, oh, never mind. I'm not, okay, I'm just going to wait. So while everybody else is leveling up Dancer, I'm going to level up Machinist, because I don't feel like Machinist is going to be that popular.
1: I think it might be, well, Golems. Everyone loves Golems. Um. But we'll see. We'll see. I I am excited. I'm excited for the story to see where the story goes. Um, I think we're gonna get weird. I'm trying not to spoil it. Um,
0: oh yeah, you can't say you can't say anything about Shadowbringers without it completely spoiling the entire game.
1: Right. Like even the trailer. Like I'm I'm telling people in our guild. I'm like, eh, don't watch the trailer unless you beat unless you beat Stormblood.
0: Right. Because like, there were even Heaven's Word spoilers in it. Yeah. And there were, uh, A Realm Reborn spoilers in it, so I had to be like, oh, um, so? Uh, mm. Okay.
1: Also, now that I'm leveling White Mage, the trailer makes way more sense.
0: Doesn't it, though?
1: Because those two monsters, I'm like, oh, 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 god. That's what they're... All right, cool. Yep. We're full on Warrior of Darkness. All right, cool. Let's go. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to, it's going to get weird. I'm excited. Okay. Now we're going to ease into where we're actually problematic adults.
1: All right, let's do this.
0: We're going to talk about in depth our newest favorite game. And I didn't want to play it for a long time because I knew if I was going to play it, It was going to be an issue, and it was an issue, but it's a great issue, and that game is Stellaris. Stellaris is fantastic.
1: So, Bacon, what is Stellaris? Oh, my
0: God. Okay, so Stellaris is a 4X game. 4X, as you all should know, stands for Explore, Exploit expand and exterminate I think I talked about it a little bit on the last episode but the last episode was forever ago so here's a refresher and I I did not want to play Stellaris because I don't just like civilization games civilization games are games where you hit, You say I'll stop playing after this next turn and then you keep playing for another six hours and it's like time for you to go to work. Um, Stellaris doesn't have that next turn option, but there's always something happening and the game can go on forever, just like Civilization games. And th- there have been weekend days where me, our friend uh, Broly, our friend Trix, and Justin... We're all playing, and we played for twelve hours straight,
1: which I think that was a good day
0: that was a great day, and it's probably gonna happen again this weekend um was that was that the day I grew the fungus?
1: No, that wasn't the day you grew the fungus,
0: okay, yeah, so it's it's okay, Justin, you explain the premise of the game. <laughs>
1: Okay, so the premise of Stellaris. When you first start up Stellaris and you start your first game, you are presented with a bevy of races to choose from, or you can build your own. Your race has just reached interstellar capabilities, and you are now ready to colonize the galaxy and explore the galaxy. It's exciting. The year is 2200. What brave new world is out there for you to explore and colonize? And that's the game. It is that ne- you never play the same game twice, even if you pick the same race. You could have the same race be surrounded by all of the same races and have a completely different experience. What makes Stellaris unique is in the expansion, there's also RPG elements. There's quest chains, there's leveling up of leaders. The way you govern is different, and also has a, a sort of role playing aspect to it as well. Um, it's just really fun. One of the, so when you start up the game, one of the first quest chains you'll get, if you're lucky, is a precursors quest chain. We learn about the people that inhabited the galaxy and that sort of ruled the galaxy before you came on the scene. So like, okay, cool. Let's see what I can learn from them. Um, you'll, of course, have to deal with other, um, what do we agree to call them? Empires, nations, civilizations. I, I keep forgetting what we agree to call these other spacefaring... Uh, entities that you come across.
0: I think we call them civilizations.
1: So the other civilizations you come across with their different governances and their different ethics, uh, how will you interact with them? Will you get along with everybody? Will you be a conqueror? You can win a game of Stellaris without firing a single shot, and I think that's really cool.
0: Um, Which works for me because I do not, like, I am not an aggressive player in anything. I'm just which 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 is funny if you've ever watched me play Overwatch or uh Destiny or even Mass Effect Andromeda, you would think I'm an aggressive player. I am not an aggressive player at all. I actually huh?
1: when we play Overwatch, your chant is be aggressive, be be aggressive.
0: <laughs> I know it's true well, that you have to do that in that game. Yes, you do. Or you die, you're not playing your role effectively. Um, But I'm actually not an aggressive game player. And in games like this, it actually, like, war actually makes me nervous, ironically enough. So I do something else. I usually play as a pacifist. And I'm a really mean pacifist. But I'm also a very nice pacifist with lots of money. Because, you know, if you have money and you have resources and you have a wealthy economy, that means you can give stuff to other civilizations and they'll like you. Which means that guy who hates me over there, I just give him some resources and they're like, hey, I don't like the fact that you're a dictator. But you gave me some shit, and that's cool. And then there's people like Justin, who is totally fine on going on liberation warfares or doing war to save the galaxy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fund your wars. Here, Here's some money to fund your wars. <laughs> I'm going to stay over here and research stuff and build up my armies and run patrols just to secure my money but also at the same time, I'm going to use my vast economy to convert the ethics of the civilization next to me.
1: So let's talk a little bit about ethics. Um, we, we've we mentioned it before, but it's actually a gameplay mechanic. Each race has a set of governing ethics and sort of how they exist, what they value, what means the most to them and how basically they get along. Um, the ethics are broken into eight, or four sort of subcategories with eight total ethics you have your militaristic ethics or your pacifist ethics Uh, you have your spiritualistic ethics or your materialist ethics you have your xenophobic ethics or your xenophilic ethics and then you have your egalitarian ethics or your authoritarian ethics Uh, and again these sort of dictate how your society governs itself what they value um, and mechanic-wise, what gameplay boosts and bonuses and boons you can expect. Um, there's no right way to play in terms of ethics. There's no one bill that breaks the game. There's a reason to be all of them. Uh, it, it's all in how you want to play. If you want to be a society that lets in other aliens, you're excited about meeting other aliens, you want them to come and live inside your civilization, xenophobia is for you. If you want to be an isolationist, xenophobia is for you. Uh, it's all in how you want to play, and it's all in your playstyle. My playstyle, as Bacon alluded to, I've seen what comes next. <laughs> right? And we're going to touch on that. There's a there's an endpoint to every Stellaris game. You can set what year the game ends, and you can also set what year the end game starts. And in every end game, there's a crisis. The crisis is different every time but it's always a crisis i've seen what comes next i know what happens when the galaxy isn't united we all lose like it. it, it, it the in game crisis can and will wipe out everybody if you're not prepared so instead of trying to get everyone to come to the table and negotiate if they don't want to negotiate i will force you to the table because i've seen what comes next I will protect the galaxy at all costs. That's sort of the role that whatever species I, I am playing as. It's sort of the role they take, uh, and I think it fits. It works.
0: No, it de- it it definitely it definitely does. Um, and it gets there's throughout the game there's actually a lot of events that happen so uh, you're not just you're not just playing the game and building up and fighting with other people there's a lot of interesting mini storylines that can happen and the game is extremely narrative it's really easy to get into role play i'm still upset over something that happened in one of my games um i made a poor decision
1: well, let, let let so so people can see just how in depth and wild this game gets. What is the decision that you made that you regretted?
0: <laughs> okay, so I have to start from the beginning of this this little storyline. So, my scientists, I have you have a science ship, and they they out search for anomalies. Um, one of my science ships found this interesting organism, and so they're like, Hey, we found this interesting organism. Do we want to do research on it? And I'm like, okay, so yeah, sure. I want to do some research on it. So I did some research on it, and they're like, oh, this organism is like, it's a, it's sentient. And so at that point, once you discover it's sentient, you can literally decide to just space it or not. Like it it literally says that one of the options, space it. Oh God, no. And it also says like it seems pretty harmless. So you you know if you keep examining it, you realize that it has emotions. And you're like, oh, there's emotions. Let me see if I can get it to talk. And so, again, with every single one of these, there's the option to space it. Every single one of them, you have the option of either exploring more or spacing it. And so I'm like, no, let me, it's got feelings. I can't space it. And then, and it always says at the bottom that it's harmless. That's something I didn't mention to uh, you, Justin. At the end, it says, this organism has show no sign of hostility at the bottom and then i you know they're like okay let's see if we can try and get it to talk i'm like okay sure a sentient talking uh fungus yes let's do this we're in space why not and my my, i have a xenophile i have a pacifist spiritualist xenophile that is the species that is what i had made um, I think this is on my mollusks. It was either on my bo- mollusks or my birds. I don't remember. I think it was my mollusks. And so then it, it's talking and it says a word and we've named it after the first word that it says. And then, you know, some years later, it's, it's reproducing. It's the, my fungus has grown large and it's reproducing and it can talk and it's, it's, it's giving birth to all these spores everywhere. And so I have the option of either A, a spore for everybody. That's literally what it said, Justin. Or give it its own planet. And I'm sitting here and, go, and it also says it has shown no sign of hostility. And I'm like, well, I don't know how well these little spore babies will do with my people. I'm just going to give them their own planet where they can thrive and be happy And then, uh, you know, I should have just given them my people because my little spore babies had grew up with the exact opposite ethics that I had. And I have a feeling if my little spore babies had grown up with my loving people, they would they would too have had the ethics of my people and wouldn't be um, uh, xenophobes and fanatic militarists. I think.
1: Yeah, that's rough. And, and your ethics also dictate how other civilizations view you and interact with you when they're AI. Uh, uh yeah, my so...
0: little my little spore baby started making trade deals with my enemies.
1: Oh, you didn't tell me that part. Yeah. They're actively conspiring against you.
0: No, they're not conspiring against me. They just had a lot in common and started doing commercial packs with them but i still had a really good relationship with them because i was their creator so i had like i had maxed out trust with them even though we don't have even though we have opposing ethics i had maxed out trust with them and a maxed out relationship with them even though i still had a bunch of negatives i still had like plus 200 because i i gave birth to militaristic xenophobes poor
1: babies That is wild.
0: I know, and now there are purple dot in my gal- in my uh, systems.
1: That's actually trading with your enemies.
0: That's that, yeah, no, that's why I'm sitting there going, why?
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> that's just, and that's just one of the many things that can happen in a game of Stellaris. <laughs> um, I think that's the game where we started. The game starts up, and I learn of an ancient, of, uh, an ancient conspiracy at the highest level of my government. Um, that is openly insurrected. That I started an open insurrection. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I have to deal with terrorism when the game starts. It's fine. This is fine. This is great. Uh,
0: yes, that was that game. Because you had terrorists and I had spores.
1: Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this is fine. This is fine. Yeah, everything. Uh, it- no, go ahead.
0: Everything. No, I was just going to say, everything's fine.
1: That's yeah, it. Everything is awesome over there.
0: It wasn't. My my spore babies are conspiring <laughs> against me.
1: Uh, and we haven't even touched on, so of course this is space, this is the future. Robots exist. Um, if you've decided to go down the path of building robots and having robots in your empire, there's a quest chain, depending on how advanced you make your robots, they will act like one of the questions is actually titled "Does this unit have a soul?" Yeah. Be very careful. If like if that pops up, you have to be very careful with what you do next. And the wild thing is, or one of the other, one of the, the things I really appreciate, there's no right answer to the quest. Each quest has a success option and a failure option, and it's RNG's on what you get. Some are weighted more heavily in one direction than the other, but there's always an option for success. There's always an option for failure. And you can't control what it is. Like, you can do some things to sort of tip the scales in your favor, but you can still fail. You can do everything, quote, unquote, right, and still have a terrible outcome. It's like, well, that didn't happen last time. You're right, it didn't happen last time. Um, We were playing a game, and our friend Trix, she encountered a time loop. Um, uh, she found a parallel universe, and she saw the deaths of the people in the parallel universe. And she decided, well, if I warn them, I can break the loop, and I can save them from their own deaths. She warned them, but the act of her warning them is what triggered the thing that killed them.
0: Uh, 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 whoops.
1: That doesn't always happen, though. Like, if you get that quest again and you try to do the opposite, you can still fail it because of how they weigh uh, the success and failure rates. So there's really no right way or wrong way to play it. Have fun with it. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, like I said, there's, it, it, it lends itself to a lot of RP elements if you want to go down that route. It It's just a fun game.
0: It's so fun, and it's really addictive. And the new... There's a new uh, expansion that just came out for it called Ancient Relics, and I'm excited. Uh, speaking of which, um, one of my friends gifted me Ancient Relics. I just, like, logged into my Steam account. And it's like, I got the, here, here you go, enjoy, have fun, and I went, oh my god!
1: Oh, that's really, that was really nice of them. I know,
0: because I was sitting there going, oh, I need ancient relics. What am I going to do? I am the pores, and voila. It's voila. <laughs> it was amazing. It was the best surprise.
1: What ancient relics add to the game is a lot, of, a lot more exploration and uh, narrative quest chains. Um, it gives your science ships. So your science ships, think of them like the Starship Enterprise, the, the OG Enterprise, which is out there exploring, doing stuff um now there's archaeological dig sites that you can always come back to and dig and find rare technologies um learn more about the precursors there's two new precursor quest chains that have been added like it's, it's a lot of stuff to make the galaxy feel more lived in right because you're not the 1st spacefaring galaxy right this is just your civilization's first foray into space you can also find primitive civilizations like you may find a civilization in the stone age how are you going to interact with that? Um,
0: I'm going to convert them to my ethics and then give them advanced technology.
1: That is one option. You can just observe them, be a passive observer, just watch how they go through the march of time. Um, you could directly give them technology, like, Hey, we're going to uplift you. Uh, if you do gene modding on yourself, you can infiltrate their society and uplift them that way. uh converting them to your ethics while uplifting them at the same time. But you have to have certain technologies where you can gene mod yourself. Oh, by the way, you can gene mod yourself. You can change your traits and change your body. You can change your physiology. You
0: can, um, you can, you can become psionic.
1: Yeah. That's, so that's one of my favorite mechanics is being a psionic um because if you do something I'm not going to spoil it because a lot of this is like story based if you do something you can start reaching beyond the beyond the psionic veil you start getting glimpses of the future so when i say i've seen what comes next i've literally seen what comes next we're not ready <laughs> we're all going to die
0: <laughs> yeah we so yeah it's so much fun i definitely recommend it even if you're not really into 4x games um i definitely recommend this one because it is so heavy narrative it is so fun and it's so funny and honestly it also doesn't run as hot as um civilization thank god but that's also because it's not as graphically intense but for not being as graphically intense, it is probably one of the best games I've played.
1: Yeah, it it, it is Paradox puts a lot of meat in their games in terms of the, the the narrative and just making it feel like more than just another genre piece, right? Uh they just came out with surviving Mars or Surviving on Mars.
0: Oh yeah
1: which is a city builder, but the, narr- but the narrative aspects they add to it make it feel more than just a city builder. Uh, they also have another one of my favorite games, Crusader Kings 2. It's more than just a civilization game. It's You're living as this dynasty, this house. How will you exist during this time? Um, I normally pick a West African count and I make it my goal to unify Africa before the Europeans invade. I've been successful once.
0: I love doing those.
1: Well, because it, it certain things in history still play out the same way. So I'm like, okay, if I can just build up my little house, make alliances, marry off my family, set up queens here. Okay, cool. We're ready. We're, oh, no, we're not ready. The Mongols actually took over Europe this time. Huh. Didn't see that one coming.
0: Ooh, actually, I would have seen that one coming. Damn Mongols. They were yeah, they, they, they were they, really yeah. effective. No, they really, they didn't, they did not stop. Like, ever. So if you don't have that buffer to stop them, or things to stop them, the Mongols will take over Europe. Which is fine. The Mongols could have taken over Europe. That would have been great.
1: Yeah, but then they come to Africa, and I'm like, huh.
0: Well, right. Right now. They took over Europe, and then they were like, oh, but, you know, Africa's right there. Wait, did the Mongols take over part of Africa?
1: Oh, I'll have to revisit my history.
0: Yeah, I was like, wait. I think there is something about Mongols and Africa.
1: I think it's possible they got to northern Africa. (laughs) I have not reviewed that portion of history in so long.
0: I know, my history is bad. But, who needs history when you have outer space?
1: Awesome segue. Way to get us back on track. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's just fun. The game feels lived in, which is a weird thing to say for a game of this genre, but it really does feel lived in. There, There's, there's meat to this galaxy, there's bones to this galaxy, and it's more than just, okay, let me build up an army and conquer everybody. Okay, you've conquered everybody. Now what?
0: And I also think that the fact that you're actually creating your species and you're you're creating your ethics, your governing style, your starting abilities, because a lot of the times in Forex games, like those things are pre-selected for you based off of what you pick, off of like what you know uh, civilization you pick. But there isn't a civilization that you're picking; you're creating one, so it feels a lot more personal. And also, you're trying to figure out. How to play in a way that matches you and what you're doing so it it's it's a lot different in that aspect from a lot of Forex games. like I am so attached to my um spiritualist xenophile pacifist mollusks that to the point where I literally looked up Latin uh, uh, Latin endings to make sure that I had the plurals and the adjectives right and the their ruling titles and i basically made the name of my empire um praise be to mollusks in latin
1: so that's awesome
0: yeah that that's that that's what um that's what the mollusks uh, empire name is it's all it's in Latin. Praise be to the mollusks in Latin. And of course, they're a dictator. Because why would they not be a dictator? And I chose this a character portrait that is the cutest. They're sh- they're snails. They're snails. They're so cute. And snails are mollusks.
1: They really are like the cutest things.
0: Yes. And um, I named my emperor like my my starting dictator is the name of. The f- the family that mollusks are under, like the Animal Kingdom family.
1: Oh, well played.
0: Which is also Latin, because all of those names are Latin.
1: So is it a dictatorship, or is it like a royal family?
0: No, it's actually a dictatorship.
1: Okay, so you, you actually have elections when it's... Uh, when they die. But which, Again, your, your game will actually have elections, because it takes place over the span of centuries... Um, that's how the, the passage of time is years or months or days in the game. Um, you will have elections. You can influence them from the outside. You can let them play out as they would. If you are someone like Bacon who is a xenophile and lets all these people come into your empire, you can end up with a dictator who is not of your starting species.
0: Yep. Uh, we don't let them become?
1: Oh, so so you don't believe in equality is what you're saying.
0: We believe in what's right for the Mollus- the molluscorum people. Uh huh. Which means we do not allow militaristic, di- uh, xenophobes in our government because this is a dictatorship and not a democracy.
1: I mean that's fair. That that is that is fair. Um. So would you, do you see yourself ele- giving equal rights to other Xenos in your empire?
0: Oh no, <laughs> we give equal rights to them, we just have shadow elections.
1: Okay, so you you do everything in your power to ensure that your people stay on top.
0: Uh, Not so much our people, but peace.
1: Okay. That's fair.
0: It doesn't have to be my people. It has to be a peaceful person.
1: Well, so one thing that I do like that they put in, um, even if the ethics of the leader don't match your governing ethics, your governing ethics don't shift. You have to manually shift your governing ethics.
0: Right, which I like, but I don't... There's too much discord between my people and my leader when that happens.
1: Yes, and that is something that you have to take into consideration. Like the the happiness of your people is reflected in their leader, especially if you're a dictatorship. If their ethics do not match up with your governing ethics, there's discord.
0: Right, which is why we have a shadow government.
1: I think it's actually one of the the civic perks, shadow government.
0: Uh, it's also a storyline perk. Huh.
1: <laughs> yep. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever gotten the shadow government quest chain.
0: I have got I get it every almost every other time I play. It usually happens when I'm on my my um autocratic government or my dictator government. But yeah. I I don't I don't know why I get it. I I look at my autocratic government and I'm like it doesn't matter. I have an heir. And I can swap out my heir if I need to.
1: Okay, I need to figure out how to swap out heirs. Because I have one species that's um a royal family, so I I just don't have elections. Um but sometimes the heir will get bad um traits. I'm like, "Okay, I don't like your traits. Can I swap you out for someone else?" I know my king, I know my, my my queen, my empress doesn't have just one child.
0: Right? There's got to be something. Um, I've actually had my heir die before my leader.
1: Yeah, that could happen.
0: Because, like, I think one of my leaders lived to, like, 150. And their child died at, like, 90.
1: That's unfortunate.
0: Uh, I thought it was hilarious because that heir was awful. And then the next heir was great and younger
1: which means they can rule for longer.
0: Right. And then I can also give them um, genetics stuff and they can live even longer. So the one thing that you really find out about this game is how terrible of a person you are.
1: Oh, yeah. So,
0: and it's really civics heavy. So you'll find out, I, I definitely think Stellaris is one of those games where you find out a lot about yourself. Um, like... I don't, I specifically don't attack anybody, but what I will do is I will coerce um, uh, I will convert uh, a civilization's people over to my ethics using marketing campaigns and in doing so, they'll start rebelling against their leader and doing strikes. And I'm also a xenophile and will do free havens, so as soon as another um, like as soon as like a military country goes to war, I will get their people as refugees who have already started converting over to my ethics. And then when, um, cause I I've gotten this far in some of my uh, solo games. And then what happens then is their people, if you have the people of another species, like of another civilization in, in your um, within your civilization, they won't want to it like that the people of the other civilization. they won't want you to be attacked because their people are living there. So right. they'll they'll actually kick up a fuss. So I've avoided wars by basically winning over the people of other species. It's one of my it's actually a fantastic defensive strategy um and it's really interesting it, it's interesting that the game lets you do that
1: yeah the game gives you a lot of freedom um so out of curiosity i looked up what happens if your ruler dies and you have no heir the game actually triggers a succession war with the factions you with the the factions within your government to establish a new um kingship i love it
0: (laughs) i love this game
1: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty cool um i cannot wait for us to resume our playthrough um i really want us to finish one that would be cool um
0: i really want to finish one either with my mollusks or my plant people um, I I really like my birds, but my birds haven't worked out the last couple of times, and I'm still salty about that fungus. Yeah, that happened on my birds. Well. So I'm still, I'm a little salty about the fungus. Uh, no pun intended?
1: But I'm Tish. Uh, one of the more fun DLC, there's a ton of DLC for the game as well. Um, it adds so most of the mechanics that get added, uh, you'll get without getting the DLC. But what the DLC does add is um, the narrative stuff and the, I don't want to say this. So one of the expansions, Megacorp, it rehauled how a lot of the game functions.
0: I need that. You'll get
1: that, you'll <laughs> get that without buying Megacorp. But if you buy Megacorp, what you'll get is a new governance type a rework of the market where you can now sell slaves. Oh, by the way, slaves are a thing. Um, You can also declare... If if your ethics are aligned in a certain way, I forget the combination, but you can actually declare war on someone to liberate their slaves.
0: Yes, you can. Um, I actually have ethics that let me do that on one of my characters. But more importantly, I have to bring this up about the slaves. So we have... And one of the DLCs allow this. We have a game where we're all playing um, as robot races. Um, Justin and Trix are playing as assimilator robots. Uh, how do you explain assimilator assimilator robots?
1: The Borg. Yeah. New All
0: organics, organics are terrible. Bad. Yes, I. I am not about that life. I am a collectivist, which means I collect organics. Organics are my friends. I love organics. I just want to keep them safe in organic sanctuaries, and I just want to take care of them so that they can live long, happy lives without anything wrong ever. Because they- forever. They need need me. They need my safety. So, I was just given a fantastic idea from one of my friends, the same person who actually got me ancient relics, and he told me to remember to uh, buy the slaves off the slave market and then free them into utopia.
1: Yes, that is a thing you can do. There's nothing in the game that says once you have bought a slave that they have to stay a slave.
0: Right. So, now, we have to make sure in our next game, we free the slaves so I can free them into utopia and away from you, assimilators, but I still love you, assimilators, because they're, you're robots and you are my friends, but but my little, my pets, my little organic pets.
1: Which one of us is the bad guy again?
0: Not me. I can make trade deals. Okay, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's something to that. <laughs> Right. Um, (laughs) All right. Last thing I want to say about Stellaris that I think is really cool. Um, If you configure your game this way, each game starts with what's called a fallen empire. There's someone who has ruled the galaxy. They're not a precursor because they still exist, but they're not interested in expansion. They just sort of chill. They're content to keep to themselves. The fallen empire is always different. Their ethics are always different. Their governance is always different. Sometimes you'll get. holy guardians who are only concerned with keeping the sanctity of the holy worlds that they have in their territory. Sometimes you'll get um, organic collectors who are only concerned with preserving organic life, and they'll hit you up like, hey, we've noticed that, you know, your species exists. We want to preserve your species. Give us 20% of your population to preserve them. Um, Then how you interact with all these different empires, all these different fallen empires, will also govern how you maneuver through the world, because they are infinitely stronger than you at the start of the game. You probably won't be able to take one on until before the crisis hits. You can also win the game without ever firing a shot at them, so it's all in what you decide to do and how you decide to approach it. They, al- uh,
0: they also usually hate you.
1: Yeah, with good reason. Um, but as the game goes on, you can find yourself becoming the fallen empire of your galaxy it's like okay i'm i run things now everyone has to listen to me um there's also something i don't want to spoil this because i don't think y'all have seen this yet but there's something that i'm working on that i'm going to build um i'm very excited about this piece of technology that basically says i own the galaxy and y'all are going to have to make some choices about whether or not (laughs) um Someone Wh- with this piece of technology can be trusted
0: what I are, are,
1: can tell you are, are,
0: are we gonna are we are we gonna fight
1: I wouldn't advise it
0: In... I'll find a way. I'm crafty
1: I... okay. I just said I wouldn't advise it. I didn't say it was impossible. I just said I wouldn't advise it.
0: I didn't say I'd fight you directly
1: That's fair. I don't do,
0: I, I don't, I don't do conflict.
1: Right, I, I don't want conflict either. I think the galaxy would be better if we all worked together.
0: Uh, Oh, okay, mister, I have a tool that'll decimate the universe, but I'm not going to tell anybody.
1: Well, so it decimates the universe if I do something wrong.
0: Okay, so see, here's where we get into ethics. And where you find out, really, again, the, you know, the the things you are and aren't willing to do. Like, you will, I'm not going to lie, you'll end, as you're playing the game, you're going to be sitting there going, okay, I'm going to do this, and you're going to stop and think and be like, I'm doing the exact same thing as this one horrible government did. Oh, my God, I'm a terrible person.
1: Yep. Push the button.
0: Right. Like... I think I was telling my therapist about this game and he literally told me I play this game like the Iranian government. And I was like, ah, why would you tell me that? that out loud. <laughs> he did. He said it straight to my face. He looked at me and he went, you know. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, damn it. Yeah, so this game will, like a lot of games, will show you how you're a terrible person.
1: Yes, yes, it will. It is a window into your soul. Um, Like, I realized, even though I never pick xenophile as one of my ethics, I always end up becoming a xenophile because I I love welcoming people into my empire, but I never let them lead. Uh, And my reason for that is I spec out my species to have certain perks on their leaders, and I want those perks in my leaders. Basically, what I'm saying is we're better than you, oh, oh no, I'm that person. We're just better at leading than than you are, oh,
0: you're not the oh. u s you're not the u s government <laughs> I mean, I mean, you still always end up with control of the federation fleets that I usually end up building, and I'm okay with that what i am
1: (laughs) totally fine with that
0: how do i have the fastest production speed out of anybody
1: i don't spec for speed
0: i don't i don't think i do i i probably do i spec for economy and that's probably how i spec for speed
1: we, didn't even, like, we haven't even touched on the way you can build your colonies and just the, the different things you can do with researching or building an army or researching colonies.
0: Okay, I think we have to have another episode specifically talking about colonies.
1: I set up a penal colony on my, my latest playthrough.
0: Wait, you what?
1: So I had a lot of crime.
0: Oh, wait, how do, you, how do you have a lot of crime? You just need pop goods.
1: Yeah, but what if the goods are going to something else?
0: What are you doing?
1: I'll tell you when we're done recording.
0: Oh, no. Okay, and on that note, thank you all for listening. Um, I'm going to have a little chat with Justin here about ethics, and as if I wanted to talk. And Justin, tell us where you're from and not what you're going to be doing in Stellaris.
1: You can find me at the three fifths podcast threefifthspodcast.com, or you can just search whatever your podcast catcher of choice is as long as it is not spotify um three fifths podcast there as well t-h-r-e-e-f-i-f-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t uh and yeah i believe in our next episode we'll be breaking down what contempt of congress actually means what are the consequences of contempt of congress and what the house can actually do in the in the face of our oncoming constitutional crisis. So, yay!
0: Ooh, I kind of want to be there for that. This is some nerdery.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. Getting back to what made us great. I
0: mean, it's kind of amazing! Um, and you can find me on Twitter at B4C0NZILLA, which is Baconzilla. Um, you can find Aaron as ANSFreeman.com, and He hasn't been replaced. He's just not here today. And you can also please donate to our Patreon because our Patreon feeds us and my Patreon feeds me. My Patreon is, um, nope, I forgot my own Patreon. Never mind. It'll show up in the credits. Yay! All right. Goodbye, everybody. And here's your weekly reminder that the most delicious name in podcasting is also the most delectable name in the art world. Visit Etsy.com slash shop slash in pandemonium for the latest prints, posters, bookmarks, notepads, and more from our very own bacon. That's Etsy.com slash shop slash Lost in Pandemonium. It reminds me of an ancient African proverb, Help bacon by cake.